0: Hello and welcome to the Paediatric Research Podcast with me, Charlotte Stoddart. Joining me this month is Neil Marlow from University College London. He's here to talk about the Bailey scales of infant development. Measuring a person's cognitive skills is difficult. That's what IQ tests try to do. And although they're not perfect, they help clinicians to identify individuals with developmental problems. And they enable researchers to assess the effectiveness of different interventions. In the 1960s, scientists developed a series of IQ-like tests for babies and young children. Called the Bailey Scales, they've become the gold standard for assessing infant development. A few years ago, a new edition of the tests came out, the Bailey Three. But the Bailey 3 seems to produce higher test scores than the previous edition, the Bailey 2. So Neil and his team have been investigating. Neil, before we get into your study, tell us how you use the Bailey scales.
1: So we've been using them for a long time to do all sorts of scientific studies. And one of the key things that we're fascinated by is the problems that prematurity, in particular, gives to your development. And we know that children who are born very prematurely, that's sort of 10 weeks or more um, early, on average have rather lower IQs and they have rather more in the way of educational and learning difficulties than um, do babies that are born at full term. And so we've been um, monitoring our success in looking after premature babies by, by and large, using these developmental tests. And we use that as an outcome measure in randomised trials of treatments. And we also use it to compare between different health uh, services and in the same health service over time to see how we're getting on. So it's really important for us that we can rely on the score that this test gives us.
0: How do you measure IQ or development in babies and young children?
1: Over the first... Um, three or four years, development progresses in more or less a predictable fashion. Children sit and walk at roughly predictable times. They begin to talk and use one word and two words at roughly predictable times. And we use these to develop a scale, which isn't IQ, But it is very like an IQ test in the way it's constructed so that it gives us a measure of development. Now, that has moderate predictive value for later IQ, but it's a reasonable surrogate. So what we're looking for is being able to estimate within populations the proportions of children who have or are likely to have problems as they grow up. And so we were all really happy until... Uh, the Bailey publishers decided to redo the score and then they completely changed it. Instead of having two scales, a mental and a psychomotor developmental index, we end up with three scales with um, language, receptive and expressive language, with motor and gross and fine motor and cognition.
0: So this is the update that happened in 2006 to produce the third edition yes, of the Bailey scales. That's correct. Yeah. And what was the reasoning behind that change?
1: I think they wanted to make it more clinically useful um, to help the doctors and therapists that are looking after the children monitor the children's progress and, and and give them an idea of where to target what they're doing.
0: What were the consequences of this change? Was it a good
1: thing? Well, in some ways, it was a very good thing because it was based on much better psychometric principles. And so of the sort of the subtle things that babies were developing in terms of their learning were better incorporated into the test, such as do they recognize the use of objects and things like that. Now, the, the problem is that over time, if you continue to monitor a population always at the same age, you find the scores go up. It's called the Flynn effect.
0: Is this a bit like grade inflation with exams that people do at high school?
1: Absolutely the same. And that's, that's okay because every time the test gets re-standardized, we go back. So we expect a re-standardization to give us a lower um, number for the child's uh, development, if you like. And the problem is that when they re-standardised the Bailey, they did it in a different way. And they felt that they needed to put low-scoring children in as a little um, excess over what they'd done previously. So the actual scores that come out in the general population are about seven points higher.
0: Does this mean, then, that we're underestimating the number of children with developmental problems?
1: Well, we think so, We had used under 70 as our reliable cut-off point for many years, and suddenly we found we couldn't use it because there were so few children who scored under 70. Suddenly you found that the whole populations of prematuras no longer had children with problems in it. So we had to look at how the two tests compared.
0: And that's the study you've just published in Paediatric Research. How did you go about comparing the tests?
1: Well, we we had a rather difficult situation because we had two populations, one born in 1995, tested with the second edition, and one born in 2006, who were tested with the third edition. And we wanted to know if improvements in our care had led to improvements in outcome. But we had two different versions of the test. So we did a sub-study where we did both tests, on um, just over 180 children. And that allowed us to develop a way of just correcting the new tests back to the old test scores and allowed us to show that there, were, had, there had been some improvement in test scores.
0: So we were indeed underestimating the number of children.
1: And, and actually the number of children we identified using the new test was around about 8 to 10%. Um, But when we reverted back to our old test in which we have much more confidence, we found that 30% had problems. And that's a big issue. Otherwise, it looks as if we've suddenly completely cured the problems of prematurity. And actually, we haven't. Still a long way to go.
0: I guess another interpretation would be that the old test was actually overestimating the number of children with problems.
1: Yes. Um, And and in fact, I mean, what is needed is someone now to look at IQs against the new test results. Um, But we were still left with a problem. And we have a problem now, for example, we have five huge studies of oxygen saturation targets. And some of the babies have been tested with the Bailey-2 and some have been tested with the Bailey-3.
0: So this is a very important issue for research. Is it also an important issue in the clinic?
1: Well, it can be in that if the scores um, show the child in a category which is not associated with problems and the child then goes on to develop problems, they'll be picked up later. And that's something that worries us a little bit as well. Um, it's very difficult because the Bailey publishers tell us that this is a this is a very reliable score and it predicts i q very well, but it still doesn't match our experience over time, which has been quite considerable in following up these populations.
0: What's the way forward then for researchers like yourself?
1: Well, I think what we've what we've done is we've um we've moved over wholesale to the new test and we've really tried to range find actually the um, test scores that we now need to use as cutoffs and we now need to go and see these children and do formal IQ tests on them and look at their look at their learning achievements and attainments and their, their performance at school to see whether actually they are providing us a reliable predictor.
0: Well Neil Marlow, thank you very much for being our guest for the May edition of the Pediatric research podcast. You can read Neil and team's paper online at nature.com forward slash PR. I'll be back in July until then. Goodbye. And thanks for listening.
1: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting
0: even softer over time.